You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. It was seven verses one, and the seven lost. I'm talking about a fight. Seven men versus one man, and the seven lost the fight. You say, Pastor Wade, what are you talking about? I'm talking about a story found in the book of Acts. Specifically, Acts chapter 19. In that story, Paul is filled with the power of God. He's praying for people in Jesus' name. People are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. And there was a Jewish priest named Siva. And Siva had seven sons. And the seven sons saw Paul casting out demons. They said, well, hey, we ought to try this out. So they came across a demon-possessed man. And the seven sons of Siva said, we're going to cast out this demon. They come on the scene, the demon speaks to the man, and he says, through the man he's possessing, the demon says, I know Jesus, I've heard of Paul, but who are you guys? And then the demon-possessed man began to attack the seven sons of Sceva. And the Bible says they ran out of the house without clothes on. Now, I heard a pastor say this one time. How do you know if you've lost a fight? If the fight is over and you don't have on pants, you lost. Seven verses one, and the demon-possessed man filled with superhuman strength overpowers the seven sons of Sceva, and they flee the house. Now, what did those seven men learn from that encounter. They learned that you don't fight spiritual battles without the spiritual resources of Christ. They were not true Christ followers. The enemy never even heard of them, causing no threat to the kingdom of darkness at all. When you try to fight a battle without the resources of Jesus, you are going to be soundly defeated. Now, do you know where that story took place? What city that was in? It happened in the city of Ephesus. And as we study the book of Ephesians, we need to realize the church that Paul is writing to knew about this story. They knew about this battle between the seven sons of Sceva and the demon-possessed men. They knew what it looked like to be defeated by the enemy. And maybe that was in the back of their mind as Paul shares with them the realities of spiritual warfare and implores them to be be clothed with the armor of God. So keep that in mind. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful 
letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 14 and we'll read through verse 18. I'm going to ask you this morning if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Paul here is describing the armor of God. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment because we sense our need for you. In fact, we are desperate for you. We believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So, Lord, I pray that you would cause your hand to rest upon this moment as we study your word. God, grant us expectancy. And I pray, God, that you would work through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. Help us to understand what it means to put on the whole armor of God. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As Paul brings this letter to the church in Ephesus to a close, he spends some focused time explaining the realities of spiritual warfare to the people. He wants them to understand that spiritual warfare is real. That they are being opposed by an unseen enemy. And there is spiritual danger afoot. And he encourages them. If they're going to, they're going to navigate spiritual warfare, he encourages them to stand in the strength of God. They need God's help. And he says, you need to put on the whole armor of God. Now the armor of God is a metaphor that speaks of the spiritual resources that are available to us in Christ. So he wants them to understand, if you're going to be victorious in spiritual warfare, you need to, to take hold of those resources that are ours through Christ. And then he begins to list the different pieces of armor that speak of those different resources. And there are seven parts to this list. That's why I've called this seven essentials for spiritual battles. Now, you'll notice in your notes, this is part two. Because part one, we began and we only got through the first essential. Last time we were together, we talked about the belt of truth. But we're going to move forward in this list and talk about two other essentials for spiritual battle. And so next week, it'll be seven essentials for spiritual battles, part three. Because we're not going to finish the list today. But I want us to focus on two other Pieces of armor that are in this list. And every time I teach this, every time I preach this, it reminds me of my Sunday school teacher, Miss Helen Pitts. And she would tell us every Sunday, 
I pray on the armor of God every morning. So hopefully we'll, we'll take hold of these resources and, and walk in these resources. Seven essentials for spiritual battles. Now, again, last week we talked about the belt of truth there in verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And here was our takeaway. We need to know and deploy truth to win spiritual battles. You will not be successful in spiritual warfare if you do not cling to and stand on and utilize the truth of God's Word. But this, this week we're going to talk about the second piece of armor that he mentions, the breastplate of righteousness. Look what it says there in verse 14. He says, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now that word breastplate is, is a translation of the Greek word thoraka. It's where we get the word thorax from, which is kind of the throat area. And this metal breastplate that Roman soldiers would wear kind of covered the bottom of their throat down to their waist, even a little beyond, covering their vital organs. If you were a soldier in hand-to-hand combat, you needed to have uh, this breastplate on to protect you from mortal blows. If you look at a picture of a Roman soldier, the breastplate is very pronounced. It's a very important part of, of Roman armor. And Paul says, you need to make sure you have on the breastplate of righteousness. Notice that word, righteousness. Now what does he mean by the breastplate of righteousness? How is righteousness a spiritual resource that we are to take advantage of? Well, there are two major ways the Bible uses the word righteousness, and we need to understand both. The first way the Bible uses the word righteousness is by speaking of positional righteousness. Positional righteousness. So you understand, don't you, that you and I fall short of God's perfect standard. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. He is a perfect God. He's given us His Word, His commandments, His principles, His precepts, His expectations, and every one of us in this room have fallen short. We've all not done some things God's told us to do, and we've all done some things God's told us not to do, right? That's called disobedience. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God's perfect, righteous standard. It says in Romans 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. So how are we to put on the breastplate of righteousness if the Bible says there is none who is righteous? How does that work? Well, God's got you covered. God sent his only son, Jesus, to this earth. And we know that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus went to the cross as the God-man, fully God, fully man. And on the cross, he took our sin and punishment. He died for our sins. He took the wrath of God in our place so we could be forgiven of our sins. He paid it all. And if we embrace him as our Lord and Savior, his blood washes away our sins. We are forgiven and reconciled to a holy God. So we get forgiveness, but that's not all. Remember that Jesus lived on this earth 33 years. 
And before the cross and before the resurrection, Jesus lived a perfect life. The Bible says that he fulfilled all righteousness. He did everything right. He never said a wrong word, thought a wrong thought, performed a wrong deed. Everything he did was right. He lived out perfection on this earth. So here's what happens at the moment you are converted. The moment you're saved, something significant happens. First of all, your sins are forgiven because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that Jesus became sin for us. So when you meet Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, when you invite him into your life to save you, he forgives you of your sins. But that's not all. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he took our sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He gets your sin, you get his righteousness. He gives you his perfection as a gift. And the Bible says when God looks at you now, he doesn't see your failures and mistakes and imperfections. He sees you as being robed in the perfect righteousness of his son. That's positional righteousness. I want to show you another verse that speaks of this. Uh, Hold your place, but turn to Philippians chapter 3. Right after Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3, Paul reflects on this Gift of righteousness. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul shares early in chapter 3 about his religious resume. He thought he could earn his way to God. He thought if he did all the right stuff, then God would accept him based upon his righteousness. The righteousness that Paul achieved. But Paul understood at, at a point in his life, he was a sinner. He needed a Savior. And look what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, the religious resume that I brought forth, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What a phrase. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Watch this. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. I don't present to God my righteousness because I've fallen short. Look what he says. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Paul says, when I was saved, when I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, my sins were forgiven because he took all of my sin on himself, and I was given the gift of righteousness. When God looks at my life, he sees the perfection of his son. Isn't that amazing? That is your spiritual position in Christ. Some theologians call this the great exchange. Jesus got your sin, you got his perfection. That's a pretty good deal, right? And that happens at the moment of conversion. And here's what that does if you look in your notes. This standing of righteousness before God protects you from Satan's accusations. Because again, we said this over and over, Satan loves to drag up your past. And he loves to point out your weaknesses and your failures and your mishaps. 
He loves to point out your weaknesses, your sins, the things you've done wrong. And he loves to rail against you with condemnation, saying, who do you think you are following Jesus? And in those moments, we need to make sure we remember that as a gift of God, I have been given the righteousness of Christ. Yes, we have fallen short. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we have fallen and, and, and we have rebelled against a holy God. But in Christ, in Christ, I have His righteousness. It's a free gift. Some theologians call this the alien righteousness or foreign righteousness of Christ because the righteousness that we have as a gift is, is not ours, it's His. And that is our position in Christ. If I had time, I'd take you to Zechariah chapter 3 to show you how a priest was, was accused by Satan, but it was the righteousness of God that helped him prevail in that moment. Positional righteousness. But that's not the only way the Bible refers to righteousness. The Bible also refers to righteousness in the sense of practical righteousness. In other words, how you ought to live your life after you're saved. So we don't say, boy, God has been so gracious to me. He's forgiven me of my sin. He's given me the righteousness of His Son. I have a perfect standing with Him. So I'm just going to cruise into heaven now. I'm going to forget all the commandments of God, all the expectations of God, and just do my own thing because I've got righteousness as a gift. That's not how a saved person thinks. A saved person says, in light of all that Christ has done for me, I want to honor Him with my life. I want to begin to pursue the things I was not pursuing before I met Jesus. I want to live out a righteous life that honors Him and it is for my good and for His glory. This is called practical righteousness. This is the righteousness that Jesus speaks of over in Matthew 5, verse 6, when He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's the righteousness that Paul speaks of in 1 Timothy 6, 11, when he says, Pursue righteousness. If you're a Christian, you have the righteousness of Christ as a gift. But now as a Christian, you are to pursue a growing righteousness in your day-to-day -day life. In, in other words, as a Christian, you want your practice to begin to come into greater and greater congruity with your position. Why? Because you're grateful for God's gift of salvation. You want to honor Him with your life and point others to Him. So positional righteousness protects you from Satan's accusations. Practical righteousness protects you from Satan's snares. The old hymn says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Just to remind you, Satan is a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. And if you're not pursuing righteousness in your day-to-day -day Christian life, you are in danger of falling into those snares. Because remember, Satan is wily. And he's very good at, at, at causing Christians to stumble and fall and experience the consequences of not pursuing righteousness. I read a story years ago, and it's always stuck with me when I think about Satan being a roaring lion seeking to destroy lives. It, it was a story that uh, took place in California, and some wildlife biologists had, had tagged a mountain lion because they wanted to, to you know, track 
uh, this Mount Lion to see its customs and its habits and to see uh, you know, where it would go in the area. And so they put this, this tracking tag on the mountain lion and they released it back into the wild. And one day someone said, well, let's look at what the mountain lion's been up to. And they pulled up their program to track the mountain lion. And they noticed on one particular day, this mountain lion had gone under a bush right outside of Target. Listen. And the mountain lion stayed under that bush for eight hours. Think about the families walking by, the boys and girls, the moms and dads, folks walking by, going into Target to shop, blissfully unaware that there was a deadly mountain lion just steps away. Ostensibly looking for an opportunity to pounce. And I read that and I thought, that's, that's Satan. He's so crafty and he's so cunning and he's patient. And he'll sit and he'll wait and he'll watch for the right opportunity to pounce. And the greatest protection you and I have against Satan's snares is to walk on the path God has for us. To pursue righteousness. To keep us away from those those pitfalls that Satan has ready for us. So when he says you need to wear the, the breastplate of righteousness, he's speaking of our positional righteousness, which is a gift from God at the moment of conversion. And he's speaking of our practical righteousness, our response to that gift, our daily pursuit of doing the right thing for the glory of God. Let me, let me try to illustrate this for a moment just to kind of drive this home to your heart and mind. Let's just say that you're a student in school. And the principal comes and says, you don't deserve this, but I'm, I'm giving out this gift to one student in the school for, this, for, this, for, this, for their career. And the principal says, I'm going to put on your transcripts that you scored perfect on every test, made straight A's, and had the highest GPA that is possible. Now, you're not doing that. You're, you're falling short in some classes. But I'm going to give you a, a perfect score. Which in a sense is what Jesus did for us. We took the test and we failed. Jesus took the test and he passed. Amen? And then he gave us his perfect score and took the punishment for our failure. So imagine a principal says, I'm going to give you perfection. Do you ever do that, Lee? You ever do that? I'm going to give you perfection as a gift. Now, if the student recognizes how big of a deal this is, they're not going to blow off school. They're going to say, well, I need to to learn. I want to apply myself. Man, what a gift. What grace. I want to do the best that I can. That's an illustration of positional and positional righteousness and, and the pursuit of righteousness, practical righteousness. And I would submit, listen, that if the student's not pursuing a growth in education, they don't understand how great the gift was. Right? And if you are a Christian, if you've been born again, you have been given positional righteousness. If you're not pursuing righteousness, you don't know what grace is found in that gift. So here's the takeaway. In the midst of spiritual warfare, you need to be right with God. You need to be saved, forgiven, 
robed in the positional righteousness of Christ. But you also need to be pursuing the right stuff to keep you away from the snares of the devil. You need to wear the breastplate of righteousness. You need to be right with God because if you're not, Satan is a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. The breastplate of righteousness. But look at the next, the next piece of armor that he mentions. He mentions the shoes of readiness. We're going to end with this one today because I needed more time for the shield of faith. That's next week. But he talks about the shoes of readiness. Look what it says there in verse, uh, uh, verse 15 of chapter 6. He writes, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, Roman soldiers had a certain type of shoes when they were ready for battle. They, they mostly wore leather sandals, and when they were about to engage in conflict, they would put on leather sandals with hobnails at the bottom. The nails would give them grip so that they could stay upright in a fight. It would provide better footing in the battle. And Paul's saying, if you're going to put on the whole armor of God, you need to have the kind of shoes on that give you the right kind of footing in battle. And so what does that footing look like? Why do we need the right footing for battle? Well, first of all, stability. Stability. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, if you slip and fall in the battle, you will be easy prey for your antagonists. You know this in, in, in real warfare. If you're in hand-to-hand combat and you slip and fall, you are prone to the enemy in a dangerous way. And so when you're in combat, you want to stay on your feet. You want to have that stability so you can fight and, and engage against the enemy. And I believe that part of what it means here to, to, to have shoes for your feet that produce readiness, it speaks of a stability in our conflict. And notice what he says there in verse 15. As shoes for your feet, having put on readiness, given by, watch this, the gospel of peace. In other words, if you understand the peace of the gospel, you will be stable in the battle. Over in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. The gospel gives you peace in the midst of the conflict. Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is ever-present. Spiritual warfare can be hard and difficult and, and, and cause trials in your life because you are opposed by an unseen enemy. But Paul is saying the way that you can be ready for spiritual warfare is to remember the peace of the gospel. If you understand the peace of the gospel, you will be stable in the midst of that conflict. In other words, no matter what Satan throws at you, if you are a Christian, you are secure ultimately in Christ. The Bible says in John 10 that if you are saved, you are in the hands of God and nothing and no one can snatch you from his hands. That's peace, amen? It's peace. 
I heard a pastor say it like this one time, and it just made so much sanctified sense. It blew my mind. He said, if Satan could snatch you from God's hands, don't you think he already would have? (laughs) We are secure in Christ. We have peace from knowing that no matter what happens in this life, and this life can be hard, that we're going to heaven when we die, and nothing can break our relationship with God, that gives you peace. Stability in the conflict. Spiritual warfare is real. But so is the peace of Christ. And I would not want to face the enemy. I would not, I would not want to face this world without the peace of Christ. Would you? These shoes give you stability. But secondly, they give you mobility. Mobility. Notice what he says. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There's a readiness here that occurs when you have on the shoes of the gospel of peace. What is the readiness? I believe the readiness is a desire to go and share this peace with others. Because I believe this verse alludes back to some very important Old Testament scriptures. For example, Isaiah 52, verse 7, the Bible says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes, here's that word, peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The Bible says that people who bring good news have beautiful feet. People who are ready to talk about God's peace have beautiful feet. And this directly applies to the Christian. Because over in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then Paul quotes Isaiah 52 verse 7. As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I believe that idea is being alluded to here when Paul talks about the shoes of readiness produced by the gospel of peace. That there is a readiness on our part to take this good news to others. So if you look there in your notes, the gospel gives you purpose in the midst of conflict. In other words, you are opposed by an unseen enemy. And part of what Satan wants to do in your life, he can't snatch you out of God's hand. Part of what Satan wants to do in your life through spiritual warfare is render you harmless to the kingdom of darkness. He doesn't want you telling anybody about Jesus. He doesn't want you sharing this news of peace, this good news of peace. What the word gospel means, good news. He wants to keep you occupied. He wants to keep you engaged in conflict, wringing your hands, never moving forward in victory. He wants to cause spiritual paralysis in your life. So that you are not ready 
You are not ready to have beautiful feet, to share this message of peace. So never forget, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of spiritual warfare, we have a purpose. We're to march forward. We're to advance. We're to make much of Jesus so that the kingdom of darkness will be pushed back by the light of the gospel of the glory of King Jesus. That's what we are called to do in the warfare. If you're an athlete, if you played sports on a field, you know the importance of cleats. You know, cleats keep you upright when you need to be upright and help you to move forward when you need to move forward. That's the idea here. If you understand the gospel of peace, if you understand it gives you stability and mobility, then you can live with beautiful feet. Feet that tell others about Christ. And so here's the takeaway. As you battle, you must remember you have a powerful message to stand on and share. Let me say it again. As you battle... You must remember, you have a powerful message to stand on and share. So we've made it through three of the seven essentials. Belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Shoes of readiness. That come as a direct result of understanding the gospel of peace. That is a picture of what the armor of God looks like. These are the resources that are ours in Christ. But I want to take you back to the opening story about the seven sons of Sceva. When they engaged the demon-possessed man, the demon representing the kingdom of darkness said, I know Jesus... I've heard about Paul, but who are you? You guys are causing no problems for the kingdom of darkness. We're not worried about you. And I wonder, when the kingdom of darkness looks at our lives, is it threatened? Because we have on our belt of truth, we have on our breastplates of righteousness, we're right with God. And we have on these shoes of readiness and we are moving forward, pushing back darkness, winning spiritual battles. Is the the kingdom of darkness threatened by you? You know what I believe? I believe that you and I should live in such a way that when we die and go to heaven... The enemy is glad we're out of the fight. Amen? That's where you ought to live. If you're going to live that way, you need the whole armor of God. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.